welcome to a special edition of the podcast. Uh, it's Cap One instead of Trap One. My co-host is Jason McLaughlin, and we'll be talking about the landmark movie Avengers Endgame. Hi, Jason. Hi, Mark. How are you doing? Yeah, good, thanks. You? Yeah, very, very good, yes. Uh, still in a bit of shock from last week. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot to take in. Uh, 22 films, kind of like the conclusion of like this whole 11-year journey. Um, but yeah, lots to discuss. Definitely. Before we start, I must stress that uh, we'll be talking about the whole film, spoilers and all, so if you are listening to this and you haven't seen the movie, please do not listen if you intend to see the movie. Um, and if you don't intend to see the movie, why are you listening, I guess? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's not um, a spoiler-free review or anything like that. We'll be, we'll be talking about everything, so, uh, so be warned. Uh, so you're a fan of the comics as well as the movies, is that right? Uh, yeah, I've been a, basically a lifelong uh, Marvel fan since I can remember. Um, obviously, you know, you, you, your followers and your podcast listeners are varying like age and demographics, but if anybody's uh, like a 70s or early 80s kid like me, um, the American original comics were sometimes quite difficult to come home get hold of so marvel uk used to do um reprints and they um some of the titles were the rampaging hulk where they reprinted um like incredible hulk stories and four stories um occasionally fantastic four but my main comic that i loved as a kid was um called super spider-man weekly which basically used to reprint in black and white um all the original american um, Spider-Man strips and then they'd have like backup strips uh, in there from obviously uh, other superheroes as well so it's kind of like I've always been a Marvel fan came to DC probably a lot later around the time of um, when the Tim Burton Batman movie was um, due to come out mm-hmm. so um, yeah I've always been make my Marvel and um, been on Stanley's side. I do appreciate DC stuff, and I do like um, some of the DC EU stuff that they've done. Um, I'm probably quite a defender of Batman versus Superman, which uh, I know got a lot of uh, really bad um, um, press and bad reviews and bad reaction. But um, you know, um, I just really do think that it's a golden era at the moment that we're kind of like, um, you know benefiting from with the whole um, MCU and what Marvel Studios have done since uh, 2008. Yeah, definitely. It's uh, it's a great time to be to be into kind of geeky stuff, isn't it? I absolutely spoil. Oh yeah. yeah, spoil for choice, really. I think we we were talking about that um, the other night, weren't we? We were trying to arrange the time. To yeah. Got this podcast, and it's like, well, Game of Thrones is on. We can't do when Game of Thrones is yeah. on. It's like <laughs> we are literally spoiled for choice. There's stuff on Netflix. There's stuff coming up. You've got Disney Plus streaming service coming up, which is going to have a load of more MCU content as well as the you know forthcoming Star Wars TV series. Yeah, Mandalorian. That's planned. It's just like there is just I don't think there's enough hours in the day. Yeah, um, to ingest it all really. That's it. Like you've got all the, the. I know they've all been axed now, but I'm way behind on my Marvel Netflix series. Oh yeah, yeah. All those as well. Yeah. It's, um, so I'm I'm coming at this. I've never read the comics, but I absolutely love the MCU since I saw the first Iron Man 
uh, been really into it. So uh, I suppose I'm like the people that don't really like football, but then watch the World Cup. Uh, so yeah. like comic fans probably uh, probably look down on <laughs> the people who only know the movies. It's interesting when you look obviously to the background, and a lot of obviously probably non geeks, non nerds are kind of like unaware of like why Marvel doesn't own the cinematic rights to all its characters like it like DC does, because obviously DC is owned by Warner Brothers, so yeah. they're all in house. Um, but obviously Marvel's had a lot of problems in the past with business decisions, you know. The company's nearly gone bankrupt a couple of times. And we're talking way before the Disney buyout that happened in 2012, I think. Mm. Um, But, yeah, to raise a lot of cash in the 90s when the comic kind of like industry kind of like hit that real crash um, in the mid-90s after it had that huge success due to, like, you know, obviously... Um, stuff like Frank Miller's Dark Knight Returns and the first crossover, which was the big Marvel uh, Secret War series that came out in 1984. Um, so obviously comics kind of like went up and up and sale figures went through the roof and X-Men was like one of the top selling comics and then you had the cartoons that followed that. And then kind of like the industry kind of like imploded on itself because they basically started to print so many comics and so many variant things that it kind of like um you know as all things that you know go boom it eventually went bust and marvel found themselves in proper financial trouble um and so obviously to raise money they started selling off their rights to their characters and obviously spider-man eventually ended at sony you know the fantastic four the x-men uh with Fox, which is obviously Disney have recently bought Fox out, so that mm. kind of like solves that problem. So it's interesting that when they first started this journey with Marvel Studios, that they described Iron Man and Captain America and Thor and Hulk as sort of like second tier characters. Yeah. And, and I think if you speak to any kind of comics fan, they never were because the Avengers was always kind of like probably the main comic series um, for Marvel. Obviously, you had the first family, which was Fantastic Four. You then had the offshoot, which was the mutants and the X-Men who were in their own kind of like separate side. They were part of the Marvel Universe, but they kind of like kept themselves to themselves and that kind of like obviously integrated into how mutants try and like, you know, hide themselves from society. And so there were storylines from that. Obviously, Spider-Man was kind of like the everyman who, um, you know, kind of like, you know, he wanted to be in the Avengers. He wanted to be in the Fantastic Four, but, you know, they always said, no, no, you're not good enough. And yeah. so it's interesting how things have changed where these supposedly second-tier characters, and I think they probably said they were second-tier characters because probably not a lot of the general public knew who Iron Man was or Captain America was. Obviously, people knew who the Hulk was, mm-hmm. mainly probably because the 1970s um, TV series with Bill Bixby and Lou Ferrigno. Yeah. Uh, but if you ask people to name some superheroes, they're always going to probably go, well, Batman, Superman, Spider-Man, Wonder Woman. You mm-hmm. know, and it's funny how probably up until the MCU started, a lot of people probably didn't know 
a lot of Marvel superheroes, they probably would just say Spider-Man and then hit a brick wall and go, I, I can't name any others. Mm. Yeah, and I think the, the interesting uh, that I was reading about with the, uh, the the deal with Fox and the X-Men was that uh, they got the rights to all the mutant characters, so even the ones that weren't necessarily related to the X-Men and things. It meant that with the MCU, you can't have anybody who's got any powers because they're a mutant. Uh, well, up until, like you say, the the point where the um, with the buyout, with the, where Disney bought out Fox movies. Um, but I think now they're saying it's going to be sort of a good five years before they bring the X-Men or the Fantastic Four into the MCU because they've got that amount of time mapped out. Uh, I suppose with this, this kind of second wave of characters where you've got like Black Panther and Doctor Strange who've only had one movie or one solo movie each so far, so they've got uh, they've got a few to run. Yeah, because um, this is the end, technically the end of what Phase Three, mm. because the the way the Marvel films have been designed is like leading up to Avengers Assemble, as it was called in this country um, in 2012. That's the first phase. They're coming together, the heroes. And then up to Age of Ultron and the Ant-Man film, that was the phase two. And then we've had this larger phase three, which has been building up to, obviously, the battle with Thanos, uh, which started last year in Infinity War and obviously comes to a conclusion uh, in Endgame. So fantastic the way they've done that. They've seeded the Infinity Stones throughout all uh, a lot of the movies. Um, and then Thanos think gets his first appearance in the Avengers, doesn't he? When he, uh, I think I'm right in saying that when he sends Loki. Yeah, he's kind of he's uh, the first time you see him on screen is is the uh, mid credit scene uh, at the end of the Avengers film, first Avengers yeah. film, where they kind of like say to um, go after the Infinity Stones and to mess with the these heroes on Earth again would be to court death. And obviously you had, it wasn't Josh Brolin at the time, but you kind of like had the CG Thanos kind of like turned around and smirked and looked at the screen. And obviously as a long-term comics fan, I was like, whoa, wow, you know, hairs on the back of your neck kind of thing. And I remember my best mate at, at the cinema at the time kind of learnt, leaned over and went, who's that then? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I had to explain who Thanos was and, like uh, the Infinity Gauntlet series that happened in the early 90s in the comic book. And they said, oh, sorry, so that's kind of like where they're going to be leading. I said, well, you know, probably, um, you know, who knows? And obviously, ultimately, yes, they were going down that route with the kind of like the rough adaptation of the Infinity Gauntlet storyline. Mm. And yeah, Infinity War and uh, and Endgame, I thought were absolutely fantastic. I, I'm assuming you enjoyed them. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I was kind of like blown away. There was all, there's always this worry when you kind of like have a big film like this, and certainly there's that worry when you kind of like bringing in lots of um, characters, and it's. Probably as Doctor Who fans, we kind of like have these same kind of worries about like you know stuff like anniversary episodes or multi Doctor episodes. That is there going to be enough story for all these characters um, mm. to do them justice? And when you kind of like heard about what they were going to be doing with these final two Avengers films, you were like, really? You're going to have the main Avengers, then you're going to have the new kind of like ones that you've introduced 
since the first Avengers film. Then you've got throw Spider-Man into mix. Then you've got Black Panther. Then you've got Doctor Strange. Then you're going to throw the Guardians of the Galaxy. And then you've got Ant-Man. And, and you're like, that's an awful lot of heroes to throw in mm. to the mix and to give them all a decent plot line. But I was just amazed last year at how well um, Infinity War was plotted yeah. and how everybody virtually got their own separate kind of plot line so, and was very, very well served in the story, even though, effectively, when you can look back at Infinity War and when me and my girlfriend were ready for the midnight showing of Endgame last week, we watched Infinity War on Blu-ray um, before we went out to the cinema. You kind of like probably didn't notice the first time you saw it, but it's very much a character, probably a, a, it's interesting how Thanos is virtually the main character in the film mm. and how much background and focus there is on him, even though he's technically the villain. And it's kind of like, I've no, never really seen that before, I don't think, in a, this kind of film. Yeah. So normally it's sort of heroes... Uh, and the villain is kind of like very thinly sketchedly written or has some kind of like, well, I want to destroy the universe and kind of like, well, that's their motivation. But the way they gave Thanos a proper character, and obviously it comes down to how he was written in the comics as well, that was just amazing. And, and the whole um, CG aspect of Josh Brolin and the motion capture was you know, you literally just, you're there watching it as in, you know, mouth open, as in this is an amazing achievement that you're watching. Yeah, you quickly forget, I think he's a CGI character, don't you? See, his, his face is so expressive, he's got, it seems to have such a physical presence like that. Uh, and like you say, the um, the way that he's the main character, even down to the, the closing caption on Infinity War is Thanos will return, it's not the Avengers will return, is it? It's... Uh, that exactly. kind of really underlines I mean, it, I think. Yeah, I mean, they obviously didn't release the title for this one for um, um, until, was it the Super Bowl, when they first released the first teaser? I think so, yeah. Um, and I was convinced, I thought, well, that Thanos will return bit at the end, and normally you get the whole, like, the Avengers will return. Mm. I was convinced, I thought, the reason why they're holding back on that title is because the this film is not going to be called Avengers semicolon whatever. It's going to be called Thanos whatever. And I thought they're going to call it that because it's it's all about Thanos and it's not about the Avengers. But obviously they proved me wrong. And obviously from a marketing yeah. point of view, they probably have to keep the Avengers in the title. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so the, the title... Is, is, is interesting because it's the line from Doctor Strange, isn't it, from uh, Infinity War when he says, we're in the end game now, which, yeah. which in hindsight, it means even though they're all going to get dusted, it means you know they, they will come back and be in the final one and he's foreseen the sequence of events that will lead to that. Yeah, because um, he, he went into the 14 million different kind of like yeah. timelines to find out how to defeat Thanos and he came up with the one that um, obviously where they will succeed and then yeah. that's how obviously it's linked in and it's commented on 
in Endgame, isn't it, of like why Doctor Strange gave away the Time Stone to Thanos, mm. where he could have easily like just kept it from him so that he didn't do the whole um, wipe out 50% of the universe and, you know, to all intents and purposes, succeed in what he was doing. But ultimately, that was what Doctor Strange saw in that reality, wasn't it? That, um, well, we have to make him, we have to make him do this because ultimately that's the only way that will lead us to then um, defeat him. Yeah, eventually be stopped. Because even just with the other Infinity Stones, he's like the most powerful being in the universe and can wreak untold destruction, can't he? So, uh, yeah. although you can stop him wiping out half of all life by, by withholding the Time Stone, uh, it's still going to be a, a massive threat. Uh, yeah, just go back to what you said before. It reminded me of um, when you're saying about the, the kind of the fears of putting so many characters into these movies. There's remember like Spider Man Three, which was the, the last Tobey Maguire uh, one, where a, a kind of a lot of its failings were blamed on too many characters, weren't they? Because there was three villains. <laughs> yeah, because um, you had think- obviously had Harry Osborn becoming the new Green Goblin. You then had to shoe on Sandman in, and he was probably served with the best plot. And mm. then they kind of obviously, and I think Sam Raimi's since commented on this, and that's why he said he kind of like walked away from the series because he had such a miserable time because they insisted that you shoehorn Venom into the story. Mm. And when you watch Spider-Man Three, Venom's hardly in it, and it's almost like he's just in it at the end, just for the sake of putting Venom in it and it's it's a very similar approach to the 90s Batman films where yeah the first one has the Joker in it but then they kind of like went down the route of putting two villains in and it's like to be quite honest you haven't got enough story for one villain so putting two villains in then Colin creates kind of like a plot problem and also detracts and takes away the shine and the focus off your hero as well. Mm. You know, and I think Michael Keaton said um, that's one of the reasons why he walked from doing the third um, Batman film because, you know, they were originally just going to do it with Two-Face, then they kind of like shoehorned the Riddler in there and then it's kind of like then Tim Burton leaves and then Joel Schumacher comes in and wants to do a more campy approach and it's like kind of like this isn't what I signed up for. And it's that approach of putting too many characters in that sometimes means that, you know, your characters who you're actually going to watch because they're supposed to be the main stars of your film get kind of sidelined. And that was always the worry, I think, from from the start, even when they said, well, we're aiming to link them all together in an Avengers film. You're thinking, yeah, but... You know, is that going to work? Are you going to be able to do that mm-hmm. well enough? And but the story teams and the whole um, plan that Kevin Feige's had um, from the outset of setting up Marvel Studios is just amazing. They must have a big board somewhere in an office with lots of like pins and post-it notes and like you know threads all going from here to here to here you know, virtually planning out the whole of, you know, probably 20 years worth of films. Yeah, I think that's the difference, like, in terms of there being, you know, in air quotes, too many characters, if it's worked out well enough, 
and you know those characters from their individual solo outings and stuff, you, you've already sketched in a lot of that background detail. So, so when they do meet, you don't need to introduce every single character. Uh, yeah. As long as they're then consistent, which I think uh, in these films, everybody, all the characters are consistent with their their own individual films and everything. And then the, the, the real joy in them all meeting for the first time is fantastic. So like in the first Avengers... Uh, when they all get together, and then in the in the Infinity War, even like you know Iron Man and Doctor Strange and their kind of banter and everything, it's uh, it's terrific. And especially the Guardians of the Galaxy because they're so out there compared to the rest of them. Uh, it's it's great to have their kind of interplay as well. Mm, oh, I mean, even as a like a, like I said at the beginning, as a diehard Marvel fan, even I didn't know who the hell the Guardians of the Galaxy were because. They were a very random um, comic, I think, that was published kind of like in the mid-70s. Right. And it's kind of like just like disappeared from things. And they'd been resurrected every so often and then the series hadn't like kind of like taken off and then got cancelled. And the lineup as well, I was aware of Star-Lord as a character, but the other ones, I was like, what? Rocket Raccoon? Who the hell's that? It's like, so even me, as well-versed in the Marvel Universe as I was, I was like, what on earth? And I was really expecting Guardians of the Galaxy to be like the first kind of like flop mm-hmm. for um, Marvel Studios. And it's just, so they did James Gunn and just did such an amazing job introducing these characters and making them like so, so likeable. That you, you kind of like know that they're obviously like part of the Marvel um, canon now, and obviously mm. they're, they're even more successful than what they ever were. Yeah, yeah, huge. And so, I suppose the other thing before we start talking about the film, just kind of talking about the wider MCU, uh, the post credit stings. Um, I feel like they've become way more important recently. Like the the last three, so the ones for Infinity War. Ant-Man, uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp, sorry, and Captain Marvel are kind of really crucial in, in, in filling in gaps, ready for the characters ahead of this. Um, and I think they, they released them all online, didn't they? Um, I guess, to, for, I mean, you go to see a Marvel movie now and there are still people leaving before the, uh, the, the things, you know, you're kind of 20 films in and stuff. Um, but yeah, yeah it's the, amazing, it, isn't it? I mean, yeah. I know uh, kind of like said there wasn't a, pr- um, a post- um, end credit scene for Endgame. Um, you know they'd already said like w- because this is kind of like an end to this journey, this story. There isn't one, but I think it was still amazing at like half past three in the morning. Yeah. How many people like still <laughs> stayed in the cinema thinking, well, there's got to be something at the end. But like you say, it still amazes me to this day the amount of people who, when you just go to a normal screening and they just get up and leave and walk out. And he's like, have, have you not seen these films? <laughs> Do you yeah. not know what goes on, that like there's not something at the end? Well, I hadn't actually heard that there wasn't one for uh, for this movie, for Endgame. So, <laughs> so I waited till the end. Um, and then there is kind of a bit of a sound effect at the end, which is like... It's like construction or something. It's like something getting hammered or, or built. So I don't know if that's just a thing of like the next stage is on its way or whether I'm just kind of reading too much into that? Um, I just think, it, well, and from what I've read and heard, it's it's just a nice little callback to how this all started. So 
Um, I presume if we discuss the film in more detail mm. later, we'll 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 get to that point. Yeah, I say when um, I, I usually go and see these with my wife, and she hates waiting till the end <laughs> for the for the for the, for the post credit things and stuff because uh, it's usually only kind of like the proper geeks who are waiting, and she just anxious to get out of there and stuff and this time I made her wait till the end and loads of other people waiting as well <laughs> so she was uh, she's not impressed because <laughs> it's good like <laughs> 10 minutes of credits isn't it for there to be absolutely nothing yeah. it's like even if it's like not a very important one or you know kind of the end of Ant-Man and the Wasp and it's just the um the ant playing the drums isn't it <laughs> yeah it's like well that wasn't worth waiting for was it <laughs> uh, but the ones before that so Ant-Man and the Wasp when uh, you find out that uh, Hank Pym and uh, and Hope and uh, Mrs. Pym. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, they, they've been, yeah they they've all been dusted, and then the obviously the Infinity War one is Nick um, Fury uh, summoning Captain Marvel, uh, and then probably the Captain Marvel one where it's Captain Marvel arriving and meeting the Avengers. Uh, I totally expected that to be in the movie. Yeah, because um, I think it's one of the scenes that's, um, is it at the end of Ant-Man, which is virtually, it's actually a scene, it was at the end of the film as a post credit scene, but it's a scene from Civil War, yeah. but obviously they just put a more cut down version of it, of where you see Sam and uh, Cap had caught Bucky, and, it's like, and then they talk about somebody who who can be very tiny and get into a place where we need to break into. And Sam goes, well, I know yeah. somebody. So, yeah, exactly. When I saw Captain Marvel and you see that scene at the end with the pager and they're kind of like saying, well, you know, Fury must have like sent this for some reason. And then they turn around and suddenly Captain Marvel's there asking, like, where's Nick Fury? Mm. Thinking, well, that's got to be a larger scene in Endgame, but I was kind of surprised at just um, how much we'd seen in the trailers for Endgame, and I think this comes down to really clever marketing, mm. um, that just wasn't in the film. Yeah, because I, I, my kind of theory was that Captain Marvel would rescue Tony Stark, but kind of on her way to Earth. Yeah, um, that she would just sort of fly past the uh, the ship because we knew from the trailer that it was kind of just drifting in space like that. Um, mm. But yeah, it's just a, and it's a good kind of you know confidence in the viewers, I guess, that you can just fill in all those blanks now. So obviously she arrived, the Avengers explained the situation, um, and that you know Tony Stark's out there somewhere. We don't know where he's been. <laughs> that's right. So she found him, then brought him back. Yeah. yeah so uh, so all that was quite cool. Um, but uh, yeah, so we'll. we'll um, We'll talk about the movie finally. <laughs> uh, yeah, so that's—I mean—that's basically the the opening, isn't it? You've got, um, uh, or very early on, you've got you've got Tony Stark and Nebula, uh, who are quite a cool pairing as well, I think, because um, uh, she's uh, they're, they're trying to get to play that game, but she's like incredibly aggressive <laughs> to begin with and stuff, and doesn't doesn't just see that it's uh, kind of a bit of fun. Uh, so yeah, she was getting it, was she? And then he was like, "Yeah, well done." You, you, kind yeah. of like, just like, "Oh, you doing?" Kind of like it's like the little football game, isn't it? Yeah. Like you play with your hands, trying to get the piece of paper over somebody's made made up goal that you make. That I, I remember playing that at school. Yeah. <laughs> that brought memories back. Was, I could have watched some more of them two together. I thought that was uh, that was quite cool. 
like that. And then, um, yeah, so they finally all get back together. And then the, I guess the CGI on, on Robert Downey Jr. to make him look so kind of emaciated and stuff. Um, yeah. Really impressive, isn't it? I guess similar sort of technology that they did with Chris Evans in the first Avenger when he's the sort of tiny weedy version of uh, of, uh, of Rogers. Yeah. Before he's... Uh, before he's yeah, I'm blown away at how much they'd made him like... Because at first, you like watching it, and I was kind of like, I was convinced that I don't remember seeing any photographs of Robert Downey Jr. lose weight, because obviously some actors do do that. Yeah. You know, um, Christian Bale, quite famous for doing it for, was it in between two of the Batman films he did? He did a film called The Machinist, where he virtually lost, uh, oh, several stone, where yeah. he was virtually stick thin. Yeah, his appearance um, is shocking, and, isn't like, it? Like, yeah. At first I thought that he'd lost the weight for the film, but then, mm. then he kind of like realised, it's like, no, the technology is so good with effects now you can do that and it's like the whole um, de-aging process that Marvel have kind of like um, really run with and perfected when they show like younger versions of characters yeah um, which again pop up later on in this film um, you know it's just amazing that you see things and it's almost as if those characters filmed those scenes years ago and then they just drop them into the film it's, it's the technology is just wonderful to be old because you you really don't notice it. You no. do notice it, but you and like you're so engrossed in the story that you're just thinking, "Oh my God, Tony Stark looks like crap," you know, yeah. because he's lost so much weight because he's been stuck in in space for so long and he's had no food. And you you don't kind of click that it's actually visual effects that you're watching there. Yeah, because I had a weird moment with the first Ant Man when you see Michael Douglas as the younger version. And I just kind of forgot when I was originally watching it because kind of Michael Douglas, I guess, in his in his heyday, looked like that, you know, in kind of, uh, you know, Basic Instinct and Romance in the Stone and stuff. Um, I totally didn't think, oh, yeah, this is the younger version of him. I just think, well, I'm kind of used to seeing him like that. And it wasn't until you saw the older one later on in the film, I thought, oh, yeah, they did a, a de-aging thing there. Yeah. Which I guess, the, the, like you say, with, with, with Robert Downey Jr., yeah, the best effects are the ones that you don't really notice, you just accept, aren't they? Yeah, and it's like also um, going back to you know the film like quite is in the middle of uh, this two-parter, Captain Marvel. You know they de-aged uh, Sam Jackson as yeah. Nick Fury because you know the bulk of the Captain Marvel film is set in the nineteen nineties, mm. um, just as Shield is starting like really progressing, and it's kind of like it's that flawless that you kind of like notice that. You're watching an older Sam Jackson play a younger version of Nick Fury yeah. than what you'd seen previously. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, incredible, incredible effect. Yeah. Um, so then the uh, we get the the Avengers go off into space quite early on to to go and find Thanos, um, and I kind of thought, oh, that, that's weird because from the trailer it looked like there was more Earthbound stuff to come. And then, yeah, totally unexpected when they find him, uh, realise he's destroyed the Infinity Stones, so they're not going to be able to reverse the snap that, that killed 50% of all life. Um, and Thor just lops his head off just there and then. 
and you think where where can they go from here now that was uh yeah a really kind of bold move yeah nice little callback to obviously what fan told him at the end of infinity war you should have gone for the head yeah <laughs> and um but literally when that happened i was kind of like going well we're, we're kind of like 20 minutes half an hour into the film and it's like where on earth are we going here and it's it's a proper wrong-footed um, thing, and it really does put you on the back foot as a, as a viewer because you're kind of like going, well, I wasn't expecting that. No. And, and I mean, there's a lot of thing about obviously how you know some movie makers these days want to kind of like twist things or subvert expectations, and I know there was a lot of criticism with. Um, Ryan Johnson and what he did with Star Wars The Last Jedi saying that he was trying to subvert expectations and people were saying well you you didn't subvert them in the right way but I I thought what the Russo brothers did here was just brilliant because you literally go well we've virtually seen more or less everything that we've seen in the trailer now Mm. and you really don't have a clue where the story's then going to go and that's really kind of like engaging your audience in the story because they're you're kind of like going well what are they going to do now and I think that's the brilliance of what Marvel have done certainly with the marketing of this film and there was a hint when they released the promotional stuff for Infinity War and I don't know if you remember back to one of the trailers of Infinity War showed all the heroes running to the camera yeah, in Wakanda and it showed the Hulk and the yeah. Hulk was there <laughs> but the Hulk isn't in the film after like he gets defeated by Thanos because he refuses to come out Yeah, and they did a very similar job but they ramped it up even more with the trailers for Endgame here because they virtually kind of like gave you the whole thing that this whole film is going to lead up to us going out into space to battle Thanos mm. And then that's literally your first half hour, your first act of the film. And then you're kind of like going, well, I really don't know what's going to happen now. And that for me is brilliant storytelling. Yeah, absolutely. And then once the five years later caption comes up, it's, yeah, you think, yeah, what what is going to happen at this point? I mean, to be honest, from that point onwards, I was convinced it was going to be a Last of the Time Lords style kind of time reversal um yeah i thought it was going to be because and and this was going to be a kind of a a what if sort of thing where you've got uh tony and pepper having had a child together bruce banner's combined his intelligence with the hulk's strength and all that kind of stuff and i was kind of watching it thinking this is great but uh, it's all going to get reset and that's probably part of my thinking in that is is having seen the homecoming trailer as well and thinking, well, yeah. it looks like it's just business as usual in that. Uh, so I was so relieved at the end of it that that five years has passed and those characters have changed that much. Uh, mm. And the whole world has, 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 has moved on and changed like that. So it's, it's so much for the next wave of films to explore, you know, like the next Black Panther. The fact that Wakanda's been without their king for five years. When Peter Parker goes back to school, we saw him um, meet up with his mate whose name I can't remember. Um, Ned. Ned, yeah. So obviously he was snapped as well because he's the same age. But presumably like half of yeah. his year at school are now five years older and have graduated and whatnot. 
um, while the, the other half are, are still in that kind of school year. So it's uh, it's, it's going to be a well, lot. But you know what? Um, that's interesting you say that because that thought never occurred to me because there was some speculation um, about the Spider-Man Far From Home film that's out. Um, is it in uh, June next in month? June or July, I think, yeah. Yeah, so there was some speculation that that was actually going to be set before Infinity War um, because Spider-Man's first appearance is when he's they're coming back on the school bus and when he pops up to help um, Iron Man and Iron Man says, where have you been? Uh, Spidey says, right. I've been on a field trip. So people were saying, well, that's why um, you're seeing Nick Fury, that's why you're seeing Spider-Man because... It's not spoiling anything that they don't potentially return at the end of Endgame or they're still dusted. And so people were kind of like running with that theory. But when, um, like you say, at the end of the film, you see Spider-Man meet up with Ned again and he's like, I've not seen you. And and I did think, well, why is Ned not older? But then obviously the obvious solution that you've just said there is that they were dusted too yeah so that kind of solves that plot hole now so and i guess mj as well um, probably wasn't dusted so all the all the kind of key characters in his life <laughs> have an age yeah. <laughs> were disappeared as well yeah, which is highly convenient isn't it yeah. For <laughs> purposes. yeah but yeah it'd be interesting to see how the kind of next wave uh, address that in different ways um mm. you know who, who's been ruling wakanda in um in Black Panther's uh, absence and stuff. Yeah, well, one of the things that Timelight touched upon when we get into this five years later kind of stage is obviously how people have adapted or not adapted to this, uh, to the snap. Mm. And you see Captain America in the therapy session and one of the guys says, well, you know, I went on a date finally, you know, but, you know, he ended up, like, crying and I ended up crying you know, because we're still missing the people who left. And then you see shots of, obviously, it shows, like, New York Harbour, didn't it, with lots of, like, boats and stuff. Yeah. Like, that are empty. And I think that's one of the things that we probably had cut out of the film because, obviously, with a three-hour running time, there's only so much you can put in it. Mm. Um, But I did quite buy the whole concept of society breaking down to such a point that they would leave cars on the streets and houses would be kind of like, you know, derelict and um, that people would really struggle. I think there's a couple of lines, I think, from Scarlet Witch saying, well, the water's fresher in the river, but the air's cleaner. Mm. And uh, perhaps, you know, whether they filmed some stuff touching upon how the rest of the world's adapted and whether we'll see that as deleted scenes on, on like, the Blu-ray or something, I don't know. But I didn't quite buy that whole thing of, like, society's completely broken down because of this. I thought that, you know, you know we know the world's overcrowded in, in real life. Mm. And I think if there was such a natural thing where half of the world's population disappeared, yes, it would be a tragic thing that a lot of people would probably struggle to adapt to, but... I think, you know, humans are very, very adaptable and I think we'd recover from that a lot quicker than the five years timescale that, you know, this film was kind of implied. But, you know, again, I don't know. 
it's just one of the things I think that was lightly sketched that didn't kind of like seem real enough to me. Yeah, because obviously a lack of bin men as well, wasn't there? When um, yeah, when there's rubbish went... everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, well, was it just all the bin men and the council workers yeah. that got dusted? <laughs> Surely they're not somebody else to take their roles. <laughs> yeah, you'd think there'd still be a few of them kicking about, wouldn't you? Yeah. Yeah, all the boats in Hudson Harbour. Is it like, is it just the fishermen that got dusted? Yeah. You know. <laughs> Yeah, and I suppose it's probably not something that they'll go into too much in superhero movies, but um, like you say about the guy who went on a date, there's people who will have believed themselves widowed, uh, kind of potentially remarried and uh, and whatnot, uh, only to find that their the spouses have reappeared. <laughs> Gonna be yeah, reappeared after five years, and it's like, um, this is a little bit awkward, yeah. <laughs> but like, met somebody in here, we've got like some kids. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so yeah, it's something I guess. I guess one of the films could touch on potentially, um, but uh, yeah. Perhaps the saving that for the Disney Plus streaming series. Yeah, yeah, that'd be interesting. Set some stuff during that five years with, with what life was like there. Mm. Um, but yeah, basically, I was I was just so relieved that it wasn't all undone. It seemed a much bolder way of doing it. Um, and the other thing that I, because I thought that that time was going to be kind of rolled back, that Tony Stark was going to be faced with the choice of bringing back 50% of the population, but losing his daughter. Yeah. Um, who, who wouldn't have been born, um, or, you know, or kind of keeping her and not bringing everybody back, which again, was maybe too obvious. So they, they didn't go down that route, which I was pleased about as well. Yeah, and obviously because of the impact it's had on people, um, obviously we then start to see the implications of um, one of our um, founding Avengers, uh, Clint Barton, Hawkeye, and Mm -hmm. that he's, in the pre-title sequence, you see him having a picnic with his family and teaching his daughter to shoot arrows and he turns around and then literally they're gone because they've been dusted. And then we start to see the implications of what he's done and he's become the character of Ronin from the comics, mm-hmm. uh, where he's basically just going out after all the bad guys because they weren't dusted, so they deserve to die. Mm-hmm. And he's become a bit of a, a very... Um, <sighs> vengeful vigilante as such yeah, and we see that obviously Natasha goes and uh, tries to talk him round doesn't she yeah because what, what kind of road he's saying is he's basically really kind of uh, going to town on these guys as well isn't he and, and sounds like he's hacking them up or kind of really uh, not just killing them but he's oh, got yeah, hints yeah. that you know that the remains are pretty pretty grim after he's finished with them so he's gone to a really dark place and even for a 12-rated film, when he was having that fight with the, I presume it was like a Yakuza kind of like gang boss, mm. and obviously they're having the fight with the swords, there was a couple of times when he kind of like run him through, and even though he wasn't showing it, the guy was kind of like clutching parts of his stomach, and you're thinking, that's pretty kind of like full-on for essentially like a, a summer blockbuster mm. where you know you're doing the whole thing with samurai swords and virtually trying to like you know take somebody's guts out with um, as a vengeful act. I thought that was quite in, intense in yeah. some parts. Yeah, definitely. 
So from there, as it was here, once Ant Man reappears, uh, he's um, they come up with the, the sort of time travel idea, which I thought just an excellent way of celebrating the uh, however many years it's been, the 11, 12 years of the MCU up to this point, was to sort of revisit the key, some of the key points from it to uh, to, to collect the Infinity Stones. Uh, and just ties it all together beautifully where we've seen these infinity stones in different points and if you're a real fan and you've been tracking them of who's got them at different points and where they all are at any given point yeah i mean obviously it's interesting that like you know as we get like into like the second act of the film where they then kind of like have a plan and they say to tony that well you know our theory of time travel is we can't change the past we can't change the snap we can't prevent that but yeah. what we can do is try and repair this and bring these people back five years later if we get the Infinity Zones at certain points where we know they're going to be, and then after we've done this, we'll then put them back and hopefully then not affect anything. But obviously, things don't go exactly to plan. But I love the fact that it's kind of like... I don't know if this is deliberate, but... Um, it was almost like a little rift on Back to the Future Part 2 where they, uh, the final act of the film is that they go back to the first film and they go back to 1955 and they integrate with their own characters in certain scenes from mm. the very first film and there's a lot of that in this second act of Endgame where they go back to the Battle of New York and you know, um, Professor Hulk has to act a bit more savage and yeah. because he's trying to pretend to be his younger version. And there was like that comedic element where he's trying to pretend to smash a car, but he's like, well, I don't really know how to do this anymore. Yeah, yeah. that was a lo- lovely little touches there. And you see like alternate um, kind of like camera um, angles from certain scenes that obviously they've gone back and they've like refilmed and um, and obviously Captain America meets his younger self and there's a bit of a thing there because he thinks he's the younger self thinks that it's Loki in disguise yeah. and they have a bit of a battle um, it's just very very cleverly done I thought that was a, a very you know um, interesting that they went down that route because kind of like time travel for Hollywood blockbusters is, is kind of like something where they don't normally kind of like do that kind of thing. Yeah, or it's it's much more straightforward often, isn't it? Um, than than it is here. I thought. I mean, they they kind of name check a load of time travel stuff, uh, and I was half expecting Doctor Who to get a mention at that point because I talk about Back to the Future and, and a bunch of other stuff. Um, <laughs> well, they even mentioned Hot Tub Time Machine, and I'm like yeah. thinking, I'm sad. Here we go. Quantum <laughs> Leap getting mentioned, like you say, Back to the Future Part Two. Um, and it's like, well, come on, come on, come on. And then it's like, it's almost bizarre that Doctor Who isn't mentioned at all. Well, especially after Infinity War, because I know a lot of people think that Peter Parker's final words before he gets dusted um, are a, a reference to the Tenth Doctor's final words because he says, I don't want to go. Oh, yeah, yeah, of course. And so I thought maybe that suggests that the, the Russo brothers or, or somebody there is, is a Doctor Who fan. I mean, I, I'm not sure about that. It would take quite a lot of presence of mind, I think, to think of a, a Doctor Who quote just as your body is turning to dust around you as, uh, as your final words. Yeah. Um, but uh, whether, I don't know whether it's a coincidence or not. Um, but, yeah, even in terms of, like, the normal 
time travel kind of rules that you get in movies, this has its own internal logic and consistency, but it's unlike any other version, isn't it? So you get the things like Nebula shooting her former self or her past self, and I, and I thought, oh, she's going to fade away now. Yeah. But she doesn't. She She's able to continue living, and, and Thanos gets killed twice. <laughs> um, yeah. And, it, and none of it overrides the, the, the rest of it. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's kind of odd like that. And also because it's kind of like almost – and it, it does kind of like go to, off to – Kind of like how they sometimes do it in in the comics, um, you know. That there is like a multiverse with Marvel comics. I mean, six one six is the de- designation of the main Marvel um, universe where most of the events happen, and obviously there's divergent realities and stuff. And it's um, it's nice that they're kind of like acknowledging that to a way because they're saying that for the movies, our MCU is the main timeline, but we know that there's some tangents now what we've created because obviously they get to the whole point in um, where they're after the Tesseract in the Battle of New York and they manage to then get it, but then Loki steals it. Yeah. <laughs> which means that in that timeline, Loki then doesn't get taken back to Asgard like he does at the end of the first Avengers film. Yeah. So they've created like a divergent timeline there. Which I'm wondering is then going to be answered by the forthcoming Loki TV series that they're planning for the streaming service, yeah. and then that means that both um, Steve Rogers and Tony Stark then have to go back even further to 1970 to infiltrate the beginnings of Shield mm. to then get an earlier version of the Tesseract. Yeah, because that would have some ramifications with Loki, wouldn't it? Because if he doesn't go back to Asgard, the the events of Thor: The Dark World don't pan out like that, where he replaces yeah. um, replaces his father by the end of it, which then leads to his death, to Odin's death in Thor: Ragnarok. Um, it uh, leads to Thor's mum's dying as well, you know, yeah. with the Dark Elves, um, which was touched upon in in Thor's subplot when obviously the alcoholic drunkard yeah <laughs> i've gone off the rails with my dad bod yeah for, um kind of like has his his moment with his mother because he never got to like say goodbye to her properly as they go back to the events of the dark world to get the version of um is it the mind stone yeah i think so Stop. or is the mind stone the one in the staff no, the Mind Stone is the one, yeah, in the staff that then he's in, in Vision, isn't it? So, yeah. um, I get, no, it's the Space Stone, isn't it? It's the, yeah, the one that, yeah. Yeah, it's the red one. Then. Yeah, <laughs> I think so, yeah. I can say that's the, it's the first time I've, um, when I've, I say I always go and see these with my wife, where I've not minded Thor being topless <laughs> in the scenes. <laughs> Not uh, at all. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but that's a great gag when he turns round. It's uh, it got got like a, a huge laugh uh, in the cinema when I saw it. It was uh, it was good because I, I went during the day on Thursday, so it wasn't it was only about half full. Um, yeah, so it was just a lot of kind of I think students and, and really hardcore fans. So there was um, there were some big reactions in there. So 
um, when we're skipping towards the end here, but when when uh, Cap is shown to be wielding Mjolnir. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, there was a huge gasp all across the uh, <laughs> across the, the cinema. The, was then, yeah, yeah. There was in the midnight um, screening that um, we went to, um, where it's kind of like <gasps> like that because you see Mjolnir picked up, and then it kind of like then the camera pans up, and mm. there's Cap with the hammer and the shield and you're like oh yes yeah. <laughs> you know a proper like real like punch the air moment yeah it's brilliant that. yeah um so i thought the i thought when they when they do go on their mission through time i thought the some of the pairings were interesting uh the way they sort of put um like nebula and and Rody together uh mm. characters who've been kind of rebuilt to some extent uh, obviously, especially Nebula, but you know, Rhodey after Civil War. Oh, yeah, um, after his accident in Civil War, yeah, where he's uh, yeah, had his legs kind of like uh, bionically uh, augmented, hasn't he? Yeah, and you've got like Thor and Rocket, who've, who've both kind of lost their families, or like Rocket being the, the, the guardians of the galaxy. Um, but mm. you know, Thor's just on the back of having lost everything in, uh, in Ragnarok and then in, in the afternoon aftermath of the of the snap and obviously yeah. Natasha and, and Clint you've got that thing where you know as the audience we know where they're going because we've seen Infinity War and you know that if they if they have to get that stone one of them's going to have to die and then it's it's kind of guessing which one it's going to be because they've both done kind of pretty bad stuff although we haven't seen much of Black Widow stuff because I think it's going to be some kind of prequel movie coming up isn't there which yeah, that's being planned, isn't it? I think she's signed for a solo Black Widow movie. And I think they're more or less saying that it will be a prequel. Yeah. Um, so, and, and I think you know, the suggestion is that she's done some horrific things in her past. Clint has recently done all this horrific stuff where he's been uh, you know, kind of killing all these uh, gangsters and drug dealers. So, mm. And then, the, yeah, the, the sort of fight to see which one of them will sacrifice themselves. And it kind of, kind of right down to the wire, isn't it, of, uh, of which one it's going to be. It is, and, and obviously I wasn't expecting it to be Scarlett Johansson, uh, you know, Black Widow, to be the one who, you know, obviously falls and, and dies and then Clint ends up with the, the soul stone. Yeah. I really did think it would be the other way around, but then obviously from when you think about it back, then you think from a story point of view, when they then reverse the snap, then would they have that tragic element of then seeing like like Hawkeye's phone ringing and it's his wife who's back, but then Hawkeye's not there to then um, answer it. So the, the obvious storytelling choice is that it is Black Widow because she has no family. She didn't know the name of her father when the Red Skull says, you know, you are the daughter of things. And it's like, well, this guy obviously, you know, knows stuff about us but because even I didn't know the name of my father so I logically when you think about it from a storytelling point of view it, yeah it has to be the Black Widow who yeah. who's, is the one that makes the sacrifice yeah I think the only thing about that happening where it does in the movie is I quickly forgot that she died because he kind of just straight on to all the other stuff and it's only at the end um, and obviously then you've got the other big death of, of Tony Stark um, <clears throat> That and it's only you kind of after that when they're all um, reflecting on stuff and talking about it and they mention her. I thought, oh god, yeah, like I totally forgot that they'd killed yeah, her off maybe like an hour earlier in the movie. 
Um, not really Delta pod much, is it, when they all come back from their thing? They kind of like say, where's Nat? And it's kind of like a little bit of an awkwardness. And then it's just like, well, let's move on to the yeah. getting the bones together in, our, in the newly made gauntlet and reversing this thing. Yeah. But whereas Tony Stark's death is... Uh, He's, he's, he's much more kind of powerful, I think, isn't it? And uh, moving, I could hear people just sobbing all around me in the cinema. <laughs> yeah, there was there was quite a few. Um, um, you could uh, hear a lot of sniffles uh, yeah. in the showing that I went to. You know, and you know, I don't mind admitting, even I got a lump in my throat. You know, and certainly at the point where he was. He was you know, he sacrificed himself. He's the one, and I thought it was a very nice touch that he says, "I am Iron Man." When he, you know, does snap to get rid of Thanos and his armies. Um, um, but I, I got a little bit more upset when you kind of like then got to the funeral scene, and you then see obviously all the people that he's affected through yeah. his life are, are there. And and obviously you then see the impact on on his daughter, um, who you know potentially they may set up in a future film as taking on the mantle of Iron Man. I thought an interesting choice because a lot of people were kind of like saying, "Who the hell is that?" As they panned across the people on the like the edge of the the lake mm. when they were setting across his like first arc reactor heart. Yeah. Into into the lake as like you know saying goodbye to him, and there was one like youngish teenage lad who stood there, and people were like, "Who the hell is that?" And even I coming out of the cinema, I said to my girlfriend, "said Who was that?" And she was like, "Yeah, who was that?" And then we bumped into a couple of friends who were in like a similar screening and came out at the right the same time as well. And we actually looked it up, and it's actually the kid from Iron Man 3 that he befriended. I wondered if that was him. Yeah, because I, yeah. I wondered that. And then I thought the only person, because it's not that long since I watched Iron Man 3, I thought it's the only person I could think of, because he set him up with a lab and loads of equipment at the end of that movie, didn't he? Yeah, so I thought that was a nice touch then. Yeah. And obviously, when I am going to go and see Endgame again, I'll go back and see it at the cinema again. Mm. It needs a second viewing, I feel. Yeah. So I will like look out for him and see if I actually properly recognise him this time. But again, that's led to online speculation that because of what he does for him in Iron Man 3, is that now then the MCU seeding this as a potential like for him to take on the Iron Man uh, mantle and become like, you know obviously there was a Young Avengers spin-off comic series in the mm. mid 2000s um, where they had a, a, a I think a young um, like teenage character to take on a, like an Iron Man suit so whether that's where they're going to go if they're going to continue having an Iron Man and having a obviously a Captain America you know and, and those kind of characters uh, in it yeah because you've got Pepper Potts having um, uh, sort of an iron suit as well in this, but I think I saw an interview with Gwyneth Paltrow where she said basically this is her last movie as well. So it doesn't yeah. seem like that's going to be taken forward, which uh, I wondered if uh, if she might sort of pop up again. I thought that was a very nice little clever touch because obviously there's the line earlier in the film that Tony, I think he mentions to his daughter when you were. Kind of like establishing the five years later world where he says, "Oh well, you know, your mum never 
wears anything that I buy for her. Yeah. And then the as part of the final battle at the end, you then see Pepper Potts like in a version of the Iron Man suit that mm. obviously Tony's made for her as well. And I thought that was a nice little clever touch. Yeah, because his arc's been been great, basically from well from from being the kind of really. Uh, callow playboy of, of the first Iron Man but then the whole arc of after the first Avengers realising how vulnerable the Earth is and wanting to defend it and build things to um, and then that kind of prophecy coming true as well because he kind of has that vision in Age of Ultron doesn't he uh, yeah. of, of everyone kind of the, the world being laid waste by another alien invasion uh, the, and he's broken shield and he sees like all these friends like lying dead mm. and it, it's kind of like as if that prophecy like did come true um and i thought it's a very clever touch because obviously you know cap and um tony haven't really like spoken since uh, the end of civil war mm. and obviously you know tony refused to call him at the beginning of infinity war you know and then obviously when he got whisked away on one of the ships and then it's Bruce who phones Cap up and gets him involved And but I thought it, it was a very nice character moment when Tony does come back to Earth at the beginning of Endgame and he virtually like lays into Cap and says this is all your fault yeah. I said a ring around the world you know and I said like the Accords the superhero like you know policies that we were putting in place for civil war and you this is your fault because you stood against this we could have protected ourselves better mm. and i thought that was a very nice character moment that instead of kind of like you know kissing and making up and hugging and saying oh you know it's great to see you are you okay that tony just went straight in and laid into steve yeah. and still blaming him for the events of like what's happened since Civil War, and that's a lovely continuity that you sometimes don't get like with films, and that's again that goes back to the whole thing that you know MCU has done. It, it's that whole continuity that they've got running through the whole films. It's just amazing the little touches that they just drop in. Yeah, definitely. So it's, it's really interesting to speculate a bit where where the MCU goes goes from here. Because we knew some of the contracts were up. Uh, you know, it was expected that maybe Iron Man and Captain America wouldn't continue beyond this. Um, but Thor as well has obviously done the same number of movies against uh, Chris Hemsworth. So, and, and when it was the three of them battling Thanos at the end and kind of getting centre stage for a little bit, I, I did think all three of them would, were probably going to you know, in some way, not make it out of this film. Although obviously, Captain America doesn't die. Uh, you know, he stays back in time and and, and kind of lives a life with with Peggy Carter. I yeah. Think maybe Thor would would go back and just be a better ruler of the Asgardians. Um, but absolutely fantastic that they've set him up as a cast member for Guardians of the Galaxy Three. Yeah, and that is, and that shows a lot of obviously potential for that film. Yeah. Um, and obviously, you kind of like. Obviously, with Gamora gone, the Gamora that we know, mm. and obviously because you've got Thanos intercepting the time-traveling plot and then basically the Thanos from 2014 travels to what would be 2023 with the five-year gap after the snap. Yeah, I guess so, yeah. 
and then like laying waste to the Avengers HQ and taking mm. the war directly to Earth and kind of like superseding what his future self had already done. You've got that Gamora who kind of like just obviously doesn't know what the hell's going on and kind of like then starts to decide because obviously she's with Thanos at that point. Mm. Um, and then obviously she decides to come round based on what Nebula tells her is going to happen. And then she disappears. Now, whether she, I presume she didn't disappear in the snap when Tony snaps the gauntlet to destroy Thanos and his armies. So no, it's interesting that, that you yeah. see Star-Lord kind of like putting a program in to search for Gamora mm. and find her again. So I presume that's where the third Guardians of the Galaxy film is going to go with four as a member of the crew and yeah. then them searching for the past version of Gamora to then kind of like bring her back on board as such. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that actually. Yeah, if um, if if the gauntlet or if if Tony's kind of instructions to the gauntlet differentiated between Gamora, who I guess, as far as he knows, is a member of the opposing force. Mm-hmm. I don't think he's interacted with her, has he, to know that she's no, sides. Well, it's uh, because he's thinking of the oh the current like. Gamora, which I presume he wouldn't even be aware of. He just heard about her from, obviously, um, you know, the Guardians in, in Infinity War then when they were asking where she was yeah. when they had their first standoff. So, yeah, it'd be interesting to see where Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 goes uh, when that gets um, made in a couple of years. I know James Gunn is... Back on board, isn't he? Like, back in and rehiring he's, he's currently busy with Suicide Squad 2 isn't he for DC yeah I'm pleased he's back though I think uh, the whole thing with that the fact that it was something that happened so long ago that was already known that he'd apologised for um, to then be fired over it you know as if to say well it doesn't matter how much you've grown or matured or anything in, in that in that time you know, we're sacking it for you. Now, it wasn't like something that had just happened. He hadn't just put a load of really offensive, inappropriate stuff out that week. Uh, after no, he, directed he, he done it virtually start of Twitter or about 2007, 2008, hadn't he? Yeah, so. and had apologised profusely and, and, and explained he was trying to just kind of make a name for himself as a uh, at the time as a, as a kind of controversial comedian and then turned his yeah. back on all of that in the meantime. Um, yeah, Disney, Disney didn't handle that well at all. But I mean, they eventually saw sense, and you kind of like saw that four four of the ways where they kind of like when they admitted that, well, we're still going to use the script that James left with us. Mm. Then you're like, well, okay, so they're kind of like still going to use his plot lines and the draft that he prepared before you got rid of him. And then you kind of like it was good that the whole cast kind of like kept together and basically said we're not doing the movie without him yeah and i think that was a key kind of like moment for disney to say well yeah i think we've handled this badly we should have defended him we shouldn't have knee-jerk reaction and sacked him just because you know some idiots from fox news like went after him you know because like you say just passed off that he'd already apologised for a long, long time ago. Mm. So it's nice that they've reversed that decision and, and he's, he's back on board. Yeah, and that they were big enough as well to say that they'd made a mistake. 
uh, and didn't just kind of just entrench further and uh, it, you know they, they've done the right thing for for the movie uh, but yeah so he's, you wonder how far out this stuff is plotted that they whether you know Thor is in that draft of Guardians Volume 3 that this was the plan all along or uh, at what point Chris Hemsworth's kind of re-upped his contract or anything yeah well I think obviously the reaction to that everybody had with Thor Ragnarok has kind of like reinvigorated the character to an extent because yeah. you know um, you know, I'll admit as a comics fan Thor was never my you know one of my favourite characters he's kind of like he, he's the god character you know, he was a little bit, you know, boring as such. You know, the first four film was good. It's, it's an average entry into the MCU. You know, I've not got many kind words to say about the Dark World. It's probably, you know, I'm not saying that, you know, I don't think Marvel Studios have made a poor film, an awful film. But out of the ones that they've got, it's probably the one that I would say is the, the, the most average. Mm. And being generous I think to an extent <laughs> yeah I'd agree with that but yeah Ragnarok is is probably one of my top five MCU films yeah. that it totally uh, brings it back and, and brilliant that they brought Taika Waititi's character back for a scene in this as well because uh, uh, and I was quite worried about him after after the opening of Infinity War um, as to whether one he'd, he'd survived the attack by Thanos and then whether he'd survived the snap yeah, uh, so and obviously as well, you know, um, I know she's called Tessa, I forget her Vol- surname for Vol- a moment there. Yeah, Tessa Thompson, isn't it, as uh, Valkyrie? Because yeah. Yeah. Um, I know, I think they'd confirmed after Infinity War had been out that obviously she'd managed to save half the Asgardians and got away Um before Thanos had struck the ship, so and obviously forced, and Loki and Hemdale had stayed behind to mm. fight Thanos. Um, they'd kind of like confirmed that that she was going to be in Endgame. Um, but it, yeah, it's, it's nice to see Korg uh, survived as well. Yeah, yeah, he's absolutely brilliant, isn't he? <laughs> the whole thing about him being bullied online by some teenager as well. Playing all night as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, that was superb, and just and the number of other like um, getting the uh, the ancient one in this one, and and Hank Pym, and and yeah, just tons of characters like that throughout um, from throughout the MCU, just popping yeah, up no, and huge well, names. I mean, expecting Robert Redford to turn up. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, it. Because he's retired from acting, and they made a big deal of these his last film being out last year, and he said that was it. I'm not appearing in any more films, so. Again, Marvel Studios were great to keep that under the radar. Yeah. And I loved the little callback to the elevator as well. Yeah. From Winter Soldier. That was great. Yeah, and to get all those actors back. Um, yeah, like you say, uh, Robert Redford, the old man in the gun, wasn't it, last year, was, uh, yeah. was touted as it is. People are saying that was his swan song, and that's me, that's, that's this is my mm. last role. And um, so it was nice of Marvel to persuade him to just um, you know make a little cameo here. Yeah, I mean, I suppose potentially that could have been filmed because they filmed these two movies back to back. It could have been filmed before um, the Old Man and the Gun, uh, but uh, you know, no order they filmed stuff in. And uh, I couldn't work out as well. Natalie Portman was that? Do you think there was any new material there, or was that 
it's ages since I watched The Dark World. Um, I actually think that's probably stock footage. Um, I know Natalie Portman had a bit of a fallout with um, um, Marvel Studios after The Dark World, which is kind of like why uh, character Jane Foster was kind of like written out. Yeah. Um, but interestingly, um, she did turn up for the um, premiere for Endgame. Yeah, that's what I saw that. That's what made me wonder. And like, you know, made up with um, Marvel Studios. Yeah, that's that's what made me wonder if it was a little bit of new footage or not. Um, but then because mm. it's so fleeting and she doesn't really do much, I thought it probably is existing footage yeah, that they've, uh, they've inserted really, Rocket. But that, you know, they've managed to salvage to just drop in there. Yeah. Um, but and obviously, um, I can't remember the actress, the actor's name that plays Thor's mum. Oh, Rene Russo. Rene Russo, that's it, yeah. Yeah, getting her back as well. Uh, a lot of really nice kind of kisses to the past like that. Yeah, yeah I mean, it, uh, in some respects, and uh, obviously as we, when they get the Infinity Stones and then obviously make the gauntlet and reverse the snap and then past Thanos then comes into the future to, you know, say, well, you know, what's going on? Oh, you've got all the stones there. I'll, I'll take them off you now. Mm-hmm. And then it's kind of like, with all those little kisses to the past and the kind of like going back and, you know, seeing previous bits and the homages and stuff. And then that scene of where Cap is virtually on the floor, his shield is broken and Thanos is about to win. And then suddenly you see the Doctor Strange portals open and here come all the heroes who were, who were snapped now back. And that was almost for me. Um, I mean, again, another hair, hairs on the back of your neck moment where you're like, "Oh God, yes!" Yeah, because it reminds very much of the scene in the Doctor Who 50th anniversary special, Day of the Doctor, where um, the first Doctor and then all the previous incarnations of the Doctors come in their TARDISes to then complete the plan to save Gallifrey. It's a very similar moment, so. You know, yeah. I don't know whether somebody had seen Day of the Doctor and gone, oh, there's a kind of like thing we can do there. Uh, but a very, very similar moment and another great Marvel moment where all the kind of like the, your past characters who you, you thought were gone are now back to, you know, join the battle. Yeah. Well, obviously, as a Doctor Who fan, you know, I've got to worry about the casual viewer. Uh, you know, we kind of first, I felt there was too many references to the past plot was timey-wimey and complicated you know why can't they just have adventures <laughs> well yeah I mean <laughs> as I was watching it you do kind of like think am I watching a Stephen Moffat like <laughs> you know version of the Avengers here <laughs> you know and it used a lot of the tropes that you know Moffat is, was famous for during his run but mm. I think yeah I think as geeks and fans, we kind of like worry a bit too much about what the general audience won't understand or won't like. Mm. And it, for me, it comes down to if the, if the core story is good enough and if it's engaging enough and if it's filmed and directed in the right way, and ultimately, if your story is strong enough, you, then you can have all those kisses to the past because 99% of them will always go off over the general audience's head. 
Yeah. It's only going to be the, the the proper diehard fans who will get the majority of them. And I think that was always the case with Doctor Who. And it's exactly the same here as with, you know, Endgame. Um, yes, as long as the plot is exciting and as long as you're engaged, as long as you're not bored, I think a general audience is actually going to, like, you know, love this movie. And that, that's borne itself out from... You know, the record-breaking box office that it's had, it's just yeah. absolutely obliterated every record under the sun, hasn't it? Yeah. No, I completely agree. I mean, I, I'm joking. It was never something that bothered me about, about Moffat's Doctor Who, really. And I, I think oh, it, I, I, no. it, is, it is something, I think, that's peculiar maybe to Doctor Who fans because we've had the cancellations and whatnot. Um but, you know, like we just had uh, the final series of Game of Thrones is on at the moment. It makes absolutely no allowances to a casual viewer. If you haven't watched no. it from the start and, and remembered loads of stuff, because uh, there's never like a previously on Game of Thrones uh, kind of recap at the you know, beginning of any episode. Um, but I, from my point of view, I've watched Game of Thrones every year as it's been broadcast. I've never gone back to any of them. So it's like nine years now since I saw the first series. I can remember... Yeah. Very little, quite a lot of it's going over my head. Um, I've just been waiting you know, after this final series. I'm going to go back and watch it again. Yeah, um, but I think that's the same for Doctor. It's the same for anything. Like you say, the you know a really kind of geeky reference is is going to quickly go over somebody's head. But there's enough other interesting, cool stuff going on. Um, you know that it's uh, it's not going to bother anybody. But uh, yeah, it's something uh, I think Doctor Who fans uh, worry about maybe more than others about the uh, the so-called casual viewer. <laughs> Yeah, and, and to be fair, you know, I think in to some extent, I think there's there's been a debate uh, with comic book fans um, for probably going on for the last twenty years or so that you know sales are what they were, but obviously there's a lot more things for our, certainly kids to do than what there was back in my day. You know, you know, there was no Xboxes, there was no iPlayer, there was no YouTube, there was no Wi-Fi. You know, there's no PS4s, you know. You know so the, the comic book industry from where these stories like originated from is struggling. And I've seen the debates on, like, you know, forums and stuff, but, you know, people saying, well, comic books, you know, aren't, you know, can't attract, like, young readers, can't attract new readers because, you know, they're so ingrained in... 50, 60, 70, 80 years of continuity. You know, Batman celebrates his 80th anniversary this year. Mm. Um, but it's like, if you write good enough stories, then you will always attract readers. Mm. Um, you know, and I've seen that Marvel have just kind of like launched another range of kind of like, um, like young version of their... Um, established characters there's the new line of avengers comics that um you know i bought for my son um during half term when we popped to the comic shop in manchester and they had a new run of spider-man and and these are designed to obviously for younger readers to then jump on at this point and not be worried about the whole 60 years of continuity that some of these characters have but Ultimately, I don't think that matters. If you write good enough stories, you'll mm. always attract people to those stories, you know. Um, but 
But, you know, these debates go on and on and on. And like you say, as fans, I think we do worry about a little bit too much about that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. There's a woman that I work with who, uh, she's probably in her 50s, uh, she heard people talking about Marvel movies. So she watched Infinity War the other night, having never seen yeah. a single other Marvel movie. Um, oh, wow. And it re- <laughs> she, she really enjoyed it. Um, she did say she was kind of googling people while she was watching it, so see like yeah. who was Spider Man, who was Iron Man, and stuff like that. But it got really into it, and on the back of that, he's going to go back and watch some of the other ones. Uh, so yeah, I do think yeah, it, it draws you in, um, especially there's just the, the Marvel ones. I, I haven't really got away with the with the DC ones so far, although I haven't seen all of them. Um, but I think the humour of the MCU probably draws in more people from what I've seen like Batman versus Superman and, and Justice League there's there's not the same kind of wit with them they're a bit more kind of poor faced aren't they and, and serious they are. And, and, and that goes back to the original source um, mm. even as a kid you know the DC comics were always a little bit more like you say poor faced and a bit more serious and with the Marvel comics, you always had a little bit of banter and interaction with the heroes. So it was always like, yeah, you know, Spidey would take the mick out of the Human Torch when they met. You know, you would have a little bit of a disagreement between, you know, the Thing and the Hulk. You know, you would have Wolverine basically dissing like, the rest of the X-Men. There was always that kind of like little in-jokey stuff that, Stanley originated when you know we, they started Marvel Comics back in like you know you know the early 1960s. There was always that continuity as well. Um, they made great bones of like you know crossing over the characters and having them appear in each other's like you know comic books, and it really built that universe. And that's just kind of like I think where the MCU has taken the template of the comics and gone, let's just do what they did. You know, what Stanley, Steve Ditko, Jack Kirby, you know, and, and the rest of them, let's do what they did and let's just put it on screen. And, you know, it's just amazing the achievement that we've done, that we're talking 22 films in of a proper coherent universe that no one's ever really attempted or done before you know and I, I know there's different film franchises you know but the James Bond films are all like kind of like standalone you'd never say they were really a coherent universe there's not characters coming in and, and going out it's main one main character who's yeah. consistent throughout the whole films and you know even previous DC films the, the, the most you got was a mention about Superman in a, in a Batman film yeah. You know, or they name dropped Metropolis or Gotham, and that was about it. You know, so when at the end of the first Iron Man film in 2008, you had that end scene where Nick Fury came out of the shadows and said, I'm here to talk about the Avengers initiative. Yeah. That was just like, wow, you know, where is this going? And it's just an amazing achievement of what they've done. And I'm just interested to see that, obviously, with, like you said, the recent Fox takeover and, and buyout, 
of the rights coming back and they've virtually got every rights to all the, of their characters now of where they go now from here. Yeah, it's uh, it's because it's obviously going to run and run, isn't it? There's, uh, obviously, this is the the, what, the fastest grossing movie of all time. There's no signs of it slowing down, and you've you've got all these characters who only one movie in, or, or a couple of movies in the case of Ant Man. Mm. Um, it'll just be, I guess, what what will be the next big overarching arc for the next ten years? That's gonna you know, tie everything together or will it be, will it, you know, remain with the standalone stuff for a little while before they, uh, before they continue it? Yeah, it's fascinating to, to know what they're going to do. Um, like you say, with, um, with the new Captain America, is, is he going to have standalone movies <clears throat> or just pop up in other ones? Uh, even if they're going to do more Avengers movies, I suppose. Um, yeah, you know, and, and where they go from there and, um, you know, will they do like you know? I know um, a good fair few years ago they they stopped the main Avengers comic and they had a big storyline uh, which I think was called Chaos, where the Scarlet Witch basically went mad and virtually nearly like wiped out the whole of Marvel universe, and she actually got rid of a lot of the mutants in the universe because she went a little bit crazy. Um, and then obviously from the ashes of that, they started a a comic book that was then called The New Avengers, um, which then saw them coming back together as a group and starting up a new team and integrating new members. And that's when they started to integrate members who you would never have really associated with the Avengers or their roster. Um, and that's when Spider-Man really came into the fold as an Avenger and, and they integrated Wolverine from the X-Men. So obviously with this getting back the rights to these characters, whether or not they're then going to start um, going down that route. If, like, you know, give the Avengers name a bit of a rest, but then give it a couple of years and then build to perhaps like a new Avengers um, franchise. Yeah, I guess whether in order to bring the mutants in, there'll be some big event that kick-starts that kind of next stage of evolution and and, and co- you know creates mutants because there haven't been any in the MCU yet because they haven't had the rights to them. Yeah, uh, that that could be something like I guess the the Scarlet Witch, couldn't it? Because you, you know, instead of like saying no more mutants, she actually um, you know um, creates uh, the mutants, and you know that uh, is a consequence of her actions further down the line. You know, or with these divergent timelines that they've kind of created now because of, um, you know, what they've done in Endgame, where, you know, there are going to be problems. Is that going to lead to a fracturing, you know, the what you'd call a multiverse? And would that, say, lead to the merging of all realities? And is that how they then bring the Fox X-Men into the MCU and say, well, they were on their own alternative reality, but now we've mended the realities and now they're part of the MCU. So there's lots of possibilities where they could go with like, kind of like introducing these characters. Um, I mean, as much as I like the X-Men and the X-Men films, I don't think there's been particularly like, you know, too many bad X-Men films bar 
Origins, Wolverine and the Apocalypse. Uh, I even like The Last Stand. I thought that was okay, actually. Mm. Um, I'm more interested to see how the Fantastic Four are going to be uh, integrated and brought in because, you know, I don't think we've really seen a decent version of the Fantastic Four yet uh, on, on film. Yeah, it would seem like kind of rebooting that for the MCU would be the, the way to go, wouldn't it? And then possibly, I guess, the same with the X-Men. Yeah, yeah. Because Wolverine, okay, wait, yeah, I'm only going by the movies here. Wolverine's kind of the main one, but Hugh Jackman's hung up his claws now, hasn't he? So He has, yeah. I mean, although he did say at the time, I think when Logan was released he did say the only thing that would get him back would be to be in an avengers film but again if kevin uh Fahey says they've not got any plans to integrate the x-men for the next five years or so because the next phase is all planned out um then you do kind of like wonder whether hugh jackman's gonna be a little bit long in the tooth by then yeah yeah because he He's he's pretty ripped in those films, isn't he? That's uh, I think at some he point he's going to want to eat a cake again or something. Um, it's like <laughs> five years I is a long time. I think um, putting on the the uh, the PT Barnum outfit and doing the Greatest Showman stuff at the moment, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, going back to his kind of musical roots. Yeah, yeah, I think probably I'd rather see kind of a total reboot of it all, like kind of rest the the X Men for five years or so, and then get some all new ones in uh not that like say i haven't enjoyed some of the movies i thought days of future past probably my favorite yeah i, I would i'd say that's certainly up there along with um the uh, x2 as yeah. well i think he's quite good um and the first class i thought was a very clever um kind of like reboot of the franchise when they went back to the 60s yeah and showed the origins of uh, Professor X and Magneto. I thought that was a very a clever way of kind of like recasting the roles and, and, and going back to an earlier time. Yeah, I like that one as well, yeah. It's that weird bit on the beach, isn't there, where Michael Fassbender has got an Irish accent. It's like the only time in the film. <laughs> yeah, suddenly so loses his American Magneto accent yeah. and then suddenly <laughs> decides to uh, turn... Uh, Irish again, doesn't he? Yeah. yeah. It's uh, almost as if they forgot to uh, overdub that bit. Yeah. Yeah, I guess I was kind of thinking, did they film that first before they'd quite settled on the <laughs> uh, on how he's going to play it? Yeah, bit of an odd one. Uh, but there's no kind of real hard and fast announcements, are there? I know, like, obviously James Gunn's been rehired for, for Guardians 3, but I think I'm right in saying that sort of a, a third Ant-Man um, uh, a second Black Panther haven't officially been announced. No, nothing's been announced. Yeah. But after um, Spider-Man: Far From Home, um, which is unusual for uh, Marvel because they've always been one to kind of like really announce, um, you know, these films in advance. They've got release dates, um, you know, blocked out like mm. all studios do because it's so it's such a competitive marketplace now that. You know, years in advance, you know, a studio lays claim to like an opening weekend in the beginning of May, and I think it's May the, f- it's either May the third or or something that um, is the first Marvel film for next year. Right. But they haven't announced what it is, and you must be 
obviously assuming that they must be filming something at the moment. Yeah. Um, I do like I'm, that commitment you know, to to um, protecting the, the spoilers of Infinity War. Yeah, yeah. Nothing's announced. Um, obviously, they probably had less choice with Far From Home because it's, it, one, it's Sony, and two, I guess it's out so soon after after yeah. the game. Just when they when they first announced the the title for Far From Home, which I think was not long after Infinity War came out, I kind of pictured it being about Spider Man getting back to Earth from Titan. Is it where they are when uh, oh, yeah. when he gets dusted? Yeah. I, I kind of uh, thought it was kind of kind of a bit of a space adventure for him, but uh, it's, uh, it's it's not that far flung, is it? It's uh, kind of tour around Europe, I think. Yeah, but it takes on the kind of like that dual um, meaning now, doesn't it? Because obviously they're on a field trip around Europe, as mm. we've seen in the trailer that it's set uh, in London, Paris, uh, the scenes in Venice as well, isn't there? Yeah. Um, but it's also far from home, as in kind of like he's been away for five years, so it's trying to like get himself back to where he was because certain people that he knew you know we don't know if Aunt May was dusted or whether she's been dealing with five years without Peter um yeah you know, but that's going to be touched upon um so that, that's going to be interesting but also going touching upon the whole Sony deal that um they did with Marvel Studios that was for five appearances so that was two feature films, which the second one we're getting yeah. uh, in a couple of months. And obviously we've had the three appearances of Spidey in Civil War, Infinity War and Endgame. So it's a case of like, what's going to happen now? Because Sony do obviously hold the upper hand because they have the movie rights to Spider-Man. Mm. And they've had quite a good success recently, haven't they? They had the huge success with Venom even though it was a bloody awful film. Yeah, I watched that on a plane um, early <laughs> this year. But they've also had the huge success with Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. So are they now going to be confident enough to say, well, we're going to take Spider-Man back completely in-house and they build our own cinematic universe like they tried to do with the Andrew Garfield films? Are they going yeah. to be gracious enough to say, well, no, let's renegotiate the deal and let's keep Spidey in the MCU as long as we're still involved and we still get like a share of the profits and everything. So it'd be interesting to see whether Spider-Man's going to continue into Phase Four or whether Sony's going to be selfish enough to like you know snap yeah. him back and say no, actually we want him back and we're going to start you know integrating him into the movies that we're planned because. Um, recently, the Morbius, the Living Vampire spin-off film, which is a Spider-Man character Sony owned the rights to, has been filming in Manchester, oh, right. uh, in the Northern Quarter, where they've made it up to look like um, sections of New York, which they'd done previously for uh, other films. So, so that's planned for, I think, a release next year. So. Um, is Sony going to now want to build their own Spider-Man like uh, universe now? Yeah, I think it would be such a shame if, if he was pulled back out of the MCU. Um, I don't yeah, know if the fans would even think, take that as well because it's, it's, a, it's a kick seeing him in the Avengers and, and with, with Iron Man and, and we've got him with, um, with Fury, haven't we, in Homecoming? Hmm. 
Yeah. This is just, I haven't seen Into the Spider-Verse yet, but I know it's got kind of rave reviews and, and did really well. Um, oh, it's a, it's a, for me, for me as a, a die-hard Spider-Man fan, he's always been my favourite superhero. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I've read, like I said, I've, I've read Spider-Man comics since, you know, I was like three, four. Um, for me, it's, it's the best Spider-Man film that I that they've you know I've seen on screen so far. Um, you know it's refreshing. Obviously, the main character is Miles Morales, who's like the kind of like the newer version of Spider-Man. Um, but it's refreshing to actually see an older Peter Parker because Peter Parker has obviously been in his like mid twenties, uh, close to being thirty in the comics for so long that it's actually refreshing to actually see that incarnation that version of spider-man on a screen because there seems to be this kind of like notion with the spider-man live action movies that he's always got to be a teenager he's always got to be in high school and it's kind of like you know the andrew garfield films were really flawed Mm. but the casting was brilliant. I thought Andrew Garfield was great in yeah. the role. You know, he got it down to a T, and it's just a shame that they didn't have that confidence of admitting their mistakes, but then saying, well, no, we'll keep this character to then keep growing and seeing an older version of the character um, when they did the the deal with Marvel Studios. But I can kind of like see where they were going it because they obviously planned it out that he was going to be a protege to Tony Stark and Tony Stark would be a mentor to him. So I can see how, why they wanted to take him back to being a teenager and, a, a, and being back in high school. Yeah. It's, uh, I mean, yeah, I suppose the ideal thing would be if Sony are happy to continue with the animated version, uh, you know, if that's making them enough money uh, and, you know, they can do sequels to that and keep the live yeah. action one in the MCU, then they've got kind of the best of both worlds, don't they? But. They have indeed, yeah. And obviously they've got the, you know, with the renegotiated deal that they did, you know, they also get now like a share of merchandise profits, which they never had before, you know. So they kind of like, like you say, if they keep the deal with Marvel Studios, they are like getting the best of both worlds because, you know, um, Spider-Man generates so much money, not just in films, but just in the sheer amount of like merchandise that's sold with, you know, his image on and yeah. the toys and what have you. It's uh, you've got Disney stores it, all over the world, haven't you? Which uh, kind of pumping all that stuff out as well. Yeah, yeah. So, what do you? What would you say would be your top five MCU films then? To wrap this up, it's. It's tough, isn't it? Um, it I think, is. I mean, I guess I've got to count Infinity War and Endgame as two movies. Yeah, yeah. So I'd have to put them in. I'd want to put Civil War in as well, probably. Mm. Ragnarok. Maybe the first Iron Man. This is a list that would probably change day by day, but I'll say, <laughs> yeah, I'd say Iron Man 1, Thor Ragnarok. Captain America Civil War uh, and the last two Avengers yeah what about you um I'd certainly say um I'd say outside of that bubbling under would be Iron Man but I don't think it's it's distinctive yeah it started this whole thing um rolling but I don't think it's quite good enough to 
to be in a top five for me. I'd say probably the first Avengers film, just because of the sheer achievement of combining all the characters for the first time. Yeah. And I still think Josh Whedon did a great job, mm. um, you know, bringing them all together. Uh, the Winter Soldier for me was a huge achievement because it showed kind of like that the MCU can change genres, doesn't have to necessarily be a, a you know just a superhero blockbuster. They did like kind of like their version of a seventies espionage conspiracy thriller with the Winter Soldier, and so that remains a favourite. Um, for Ragnarok, just because of the sheer um, change in direction it had from the previous two four films and then i'm probably yeah gonna have to go for infinity war and endgame as well for uh for the three and for the four and five spot there mm-hmm. yeah definitely first avengers and, and winter soldier would bubble and under for me and probably on a different day would would replace iron man but um, then you, you mentioned civil war as well and i like the way that civil war was kind of like a proto Avengers film but also carried on the plot points from Winter Soldier and, and did it so well yeah. and then also had a brilliant way of introducing Black Panther in uh, and again it comes back to how the these films are just so good at integrating all these various plot points and all these characters and not seeming crowded mm. or as if they're too bloated or you know and really just keeping your attention and keeping the the story so cool um, so yeah I'd probably have to stick Civil War in there somewhere, but now I'm up to six. Yeah. So <laughs> difficult, isn't it? Yeah, it's just such a consistently high quality run of movies that uh, yeah, just keep knocking out of the park. You know, the, even when you kind of you feel like in the early ones that there was a, a bit of a formula where the heroes would face like an evil version of themselves, like like the first couple of Iron Man films and. Yeah, uh, I suppose you know Ant Man was the same and, and stuff like that. And then there was like the the run of having like a big ship or, um, or something floating above uh, above land. So you got like kind of Age of Ultron and Winter Soldier. Yeah, the other kind of the big finales like that. But they they always managed to break out of that and and break new ground and come up with new stuff all the time. It is, and it's like kind of like you know, it's. I don't think any other studio, bar uh, Pixar, when they were at their peak, you know, had such a run of just one hit movie after another. And it does seem as if they just seem to get more successful as they go along. You know, it's now when you talk about, you know, I think when Ant Man and the Wasp came out last year. There were some quarters of like the internet and Twitter or whatever or forums that were saying, "Oh well, it's a flop because it only did something like you know, close to seven hundred million dollars." Yeah, which is still a huge <laughs> amount of money, and it outgrossed its previous the, the first Ant Man film, but because it wasn't meeting like kind of like the box office success of you know the Avengers films or what Black Panther had done earlier in the year. Hmm. That people were saying, oh well, seven hundred million is not good enough now. But it's like, you know, seven hundred million is not to be sniffed at, you know. Yeah. But each film just seems to like just build upon the next one. I wasn't expecting Captain Marvel to go above a billion, and that's had a, a box office boost, even though it's been out for about five weeks. It's it's gone up 
um, in box office takings purely because of Endgame, because people have rushed to go and see that before they go and see Endgame again. So that's kind of driven up its box office as yeah, well. It's, that's a bit of savvy kind of um, scheduling, I guess, isn't it, to have them so close together? Oh, yeah. Uh, I think we'll probably be looking at Far From Home being probably the highest gross in Spider-Man film as well, because it'll just ride that wave, I think, of yeah. the goodwill that, you know, Endgame's currently got. It's like 98% on Rotten Tomatoes. Mm. Uh, it's, you know, absolutely the, the ratings are through the roof, as yeah. well as the box office takings. But then we've got to wait till May for the next one. That's That's a long time, isn't it? It is, it is, but it'd be interesting to see what they have planned for this this next phase and just, um, you know, what happens to the MCU um, after this pivotal um, movie. Definitely. Well, thank you very much for making the time uh, to speak to me this evening. It's been great talking over the the film and the, the wider MCU and its history with you. It's been a it's been a refreshing change from Doctor Who. Um, you know, you uh, diverge a bit more. I don't know if your listeners would be too happy in that, but um, yeah, um, I just think it's it's just brilliant to acknowledge how just good these movies are. Yeah, definitely. And I think judging by my kind of Twitter timeline, there's there's a huge crossover of, of fans of both. So uh, well, we'll see what the, yeah. the ratings are like for this one. <laughs> And it, also, I think it helps that Endgame is it does have a kind of like Doctor Whoish kind of plot to it uh, in that second um, like part of the the, the movie, doesn't it? So uh, yeah. that always helps. Definitely. Very quickly, where can we find you on Twitter, Jason? I am on as Jango Mac seventy two. Great. I am I am at Trap One underscore. Tune in next week for a regular Doctor Who podcast. Thanks for listening. Goodbye. We'll